Well, good morning. Try that again. Good morning. There we go. It is good to see you. Let me welcome you here to First Baptist Church. We're really glad that you're here. If you look in the worship guide, there are several announcements for you as far as um, things that you can be involved in. Ladies, there is an event tonight. Um, for you, it's in the room right back there in the fellowship hall. If you want to be a part of that, it's, uh, you can see it. And then um, we do have some information on deacon reserves. Some who've already been ordained, have been here for a year, are gonna come onto the list if you approve. And then we have some new names as well. And you can see the information about voting on that. So just be in prayer and, um, and we'll make sure you know who those people are as we get ready to vote. And then you can see the things about the, um, the, the health clinic involvement and also the water filters. And so um, Ecuador, if you're going, you do have a meeting today at five o'clock. And so just wanted you to be aware of those. Why don't you stand up? and greet each other. Move around, let everybody know you're wel they're welcome to be here today. All right, we are glad that all of you are here. If you'll notice on the very back page, there are two QR codes, but the upper QR code is if you're a guest and you would like some more information about our church, you can scan that in your, in your photo and it'll bring you to a page and we can get the information that you're looking for. Um, Y'all are talkative bunch today. Um, just be aware, um, a lot of folks, I know some of our county folks are on spring break. So look around and just see who's not here. Some are afraid of the possibility of rain. We know that. Baptists just don't like to rain so much so for some reason. But look around and see who's not here. Make sure you let them know you missed them. But this is the season, two weeks from Easter, um, our Annie Armstrong Easter offering. As you know, our goal this year is $50,000. And we want to encourage you to give to that as generously, as sacrificially as you can to that offering. It is a wonderful time um, for us to support North American missions. Every penny we give to that goes to the missionaries themselves. Um, you, when you, if you give online or if you give um, through the budget, just mark your check or mark it in, on the online gift and give it to Annie Armstrong. This video shows us why we give to the Annie Armstrong Easter offering. People like this are the people that you're supporting. So let's watch this. 2020 was, it was, um, it was a time that you can't forget. It was in the midst of the pandemic and then George Floyd died. And we're in the Twin Cities, so it was like right here. We were meeting at the park and so we, we would do these services, preach the gospel and serve our neighbors and, and give a picture of hope and unity where the gospel tears down these walls that separate us because there is a true melting pot in the Twin Cities. You have all these different languages and people groups within just even five, 10 miles. 
And so we planted the church and the church is called All People's Church. And All People's doesn't mean just ethnically, but it means generationally, it means socially. That was the heart of it. And being in the Twin Cities, being such a melting pot, it felt to me like that would be one of the most powerful apologetics to the world. The hardest thing is probably how slow life transformation takes. And so when people give, they give us church planters something that we really need, and that's time. Because life change is slow, especially if you're trying to um, plant a church where no foundation is laid, as Paul says in the end of Romans. It's slow work, and yet, there is no shortage of people who've joined our church and they're, they're, they're growing in their faith for the first time. And, and that's what's been going on. Someone encounters Jesus and then they go tell people, you know, come and see. And so after doing that for a handful of years in the Twin Cities, the, the world can look and see and say, wow, Jesus is real. And I just, I love that. A great reminder, come and see. Two weeks from now is Easter. Next week, I hope, we thought they might be in today. There's some cards we'll have for you where you can invite people to be involved in, in the Easter week services. A call to worship. Let's read this together. Just read it out loud with me. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, hallelujah. For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. This is the word of the Lord. Speak to God. Thank you. Paul told us to devote ourselves to the public reading of Scripture. And we're doing that this year. I'll just remind you regularly that we're taking a passage from each of the books of the Bible and reading it. I think Keith, if you got it today, he's all ready. So Keith, come and read our Scripture. Good morning. morning. Welcome to the house of the Lord. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord God, and what is my house that you've brought me thus far? And this is a small thing in your eyes, O God. You have also spoken of your servant's house for a great while to come and shown me future generations, O Lord God. And what more can David say to you for honoring your servant, for you know your servant. For your servant's sake, O Lord, according to your own heart, you have done all this greatness in making known all these great things. There is none like you, O Lord, and there is no God besides you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. And who is like your people Israel, the one nation on earth whom God sent to redeem to, to, redeem to be his people, making for yourself a name for great and awesome things and driving out nations before your people who you redeemed from Egypt. And you made your people Israel to be your people forever. And you, O Lord, became their God. And now, O Lord, let the word that you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house be established forever and do as you have spoken and your name will be established and magnified forever, saying, the Lord of hosts, 
the God of Israel, is Israel's God, and the house of your servant David will be established before you. This is the word of the Lord. Let's continue to worship through music. Let's stand. We have victory in Jesus.
Father God, we thank you that you are here in our midst, that you live within us by the power of your spirit. Father, because we know you, Father, we can have victory, even in the midst of hard trials and various kinds of trials, Father. We know that you have already won the battle. So thank you, God, that we can have your victory today. We love you, Father. Help us to love you more today than we've ever loved you before. And we give you this time, it's yours. And we wanna honor you, we wanna worship you. We wanna adore you, Father, in Jesus' name.
be seated. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you that you have fought the good fight. Jesus, you finished the faith. You did everything that was necessary that we might be born again, that we might be your children, that we might come before you, come to you, into your presence. And Lord, as your children, we stop and we pray for those who, who are struggling today. We ask God that you would bless them with your presence. Lord James says a lot to our situations we're in the midst of trials and so I know that there are those who are struggling through them now and I pray Father that your spirit would allow your word just to dig deep here and change our lives. Father I am I lift up those around us who don't know you. Lord, we all have family members, maybe who are lost, neighbors and coworkers, friends. And Lord, as we lift their names to you, even now, I just encourage you to folks, just lift up the names of those who are lost to the Lord now. Father, as we lift these names to you, we ask for your Holy Spirit to move in their lives to soften their hearts, to draw them to yourself. We pray, Father, that, that you would make us bold as ministering, just ministering children of yours, that we might minister to those who are hurting and those who are lost that they might see a difference in our life and see the care that you have in us and through us for them. We pray for our prodigals that they would return to you, Lord. We ask God that you'd help us. And Lord, we just lift this time to you as we come to your word. I thank you, Lord, for those who are gathered here Lord, I know that we come here with many different um, things on our minds. And I pray for this next few moments that you would just let us focus in. That you would take away the distractions of our mind and distractions in our hearts. And, and that just for this period of time, you would help us, God, to, um, to turn our attention to your word. Speak to us, God. Help us, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me invite you to turn in your Bibles to James. We've been there for a couple of weeks now. James chapter 1. James 1. And today we're going to look at verses 9 through 12. And um, just remind you, when we looked in verse 1, we, we see an introduction to that letter and we, we spent some time there. And then in verses 2 through 4, there's a command to count it all joy. 
and when we encounter various trials. And then we see how to do that in verse five. We're to ask God for wisdom. And then we pick up in verse nine. It all flows together. So if you're able, I invite you to stand and honor the reading of God's word. James 1, 9. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with a scorching heat and withers the grass. As flowers fall and his beauty perishes, so also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. You can be seated. I think one of the temptations we have when we study James, because it is a book of wisdom, is that we, we tend to pull different passages out of the context and just teach them as self-sustaining passages. Like last week, if you lack wisdom, ask of God and he'll give it to you. And, and we teach that, and it's, it's rightful to teach it as a way to pray and ask God for wisdom, but, but you can't pull it out of the context. He's, he's saying we... We ask for wisdom in the midst of trials. And, and today is one of those passages where, where if we're not careful, we can pull this out and not see how it connects. So let me just remind you, again, I just went over it. Let me go over it again in verse 2. Consider it, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. He tells us why in verses 3 and 4. Because through the trials we become perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. It makes us mature. Without the trials, we can't become mature, but with the trials and through the trials, we can be mature. He tells us why, and then he tells us how to do that in, in verses five through eight. He says, here's how you do it. You, you ask for wisdom. You remember last week we said wisdom is, is the spirit-given ability to see light and especially see trials through God's perspective. So we, we ask for wisdom in the midst of trials. God, help me to see what you're doing here, what you're teaching me here. And, and we walk through that. And so we're, we, we see how it connects. And then from, from that command to count it all joy and that command to, to ask for wisdom, we come to our passage. And, and what James does is, is he, he gives us an, a visible illustration. So I just want you to see this. It's a visible illustration of how this works. And what I want you to see early is, is that James is introducing something that he's gonna come back to. There was a problem in the early church between those who were wealthy and those who were poor, especially to those that James is writing to. We see it in other passages, but here, like in, for example, James he later will, will confront the, the, the people who welcome the rich person and give them the best seed and ignore the per, poor person. And so there's something going on in James that we're not sure what's happening yet, but he introduces it here. He, he's, he's, he's speaking of something that was obvious to them. He's going to come back to it in this short letter. But, but what we come to, just, just look at it. I just want you to see that first verse, Chris. Let's pull it up. Let, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. We'll just leave that verse up for a while. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. One writer called this a riddle. I'm not sure it's a riddle, but, but I do believe it's what other writers have called, it's a paradox. 
It's a paradox. He said, well, what's a paradox? G.K. Chesterton gave one of the greatest definitions. He said, a paradox is truth standing on its head, shouting for attention. And that's what James is doing. He's giving us this statement that seems like a riddle, that seems like a paradox, and he's, he's showing us something in these couple statements. And here's what we have to realize, is that these statements really go against our culture. They go against the American mindset. But the reality is, I've been in South America and Latin America, I've been in Africa, I've been in China, I've been in other places in the world, and, and, and it's not just our culture that it goes against. It goes against every culture. What Jesus is saying here is, is specifically against an American culture that's get, 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 and it's revolutionary. As he talks about this, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. Doesn't that sound like what Jesus said in the first beatitude? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He says, let the lowly brother. That word lowly, as you can imagine, means someone who is low, but it also speaks of someone who is in a humble circumstance. Not, not necessarily somebody with humility, but someone who's in a humble situation. And then also of someone who is, who is unimportant. The, world, the word was used for unimportant people. Now, we, we don't look at anybody as being unimportant, but you know, in the world's eyes. So that word was used, word was used that way. Paul uses it in other places to describe the, the downcast. And so the Bible speaks a lot about those who are economically poor. And this would seem to be a description of a socioeconomics description of a person. These are people who are, who are low because he compares it with those who are rich. And so he comes to those, and, and, and you'll notice, let the lowly, look at the next word, brother. That means he's a believer. These are believers. These are Christians. These are people who, who are followers of Christ, who are in a lowly position. Many of the early church were people of a lowly position. Many of them. But, but I think if we look at verse 1 and see that he's writing to the people in the 12 tribes of dispersion, the Jewish Christians who have scattered, we may also understand that these are some of the people, maybe they're poor because of their faith. They're in a lowly position because they followed Christ and because they followed Christ, they were dispersed and they had to leave everything at home. I read a book last year, I lost the title, I forgot to go back and look at it, but it's, um, it's a book that a lot of you read and, um, and, and it was about an Iranian refugee who, 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 whose family was very wealthy in, in Iran, but they had to escape and come over to the States and, and they moved into basic abject poverty. And the whole story was about how they were displaced and how they learned and lived to live in a new culture. And it seems like this is that kind of person. They're poor because of their faith, driven away from their home and from their jobs because they were followers of Christ. New Testament speaks of many times of those who were poor and the gospel in many places in the world is predominantly received by those who are and rejected by those who are rich. We'll look at this and understand that James is showing us a visible illustration of what he's showing us about consider it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter various trials. But he also then comes right back into it as he's done in each of our sections, he gives us a command. And what's interesting is the command, the second point, command is that word boast, okay? 
So you have a visible illustration and now you have a command. And if you go back to that verse, it's, it's the word boast. And, and, and that's, that's strange to us, boast in his exaltation. Let the lowly brother boast. And what's strange to us is that we read so much of Paul. We read so much of, of, of the letters of Paul and almost every time that Paul speaks of boasting, it's sinful. Now, not boasting in the cross, obviously. He talks about boasting in the cross. But we, we tend to think of boasting as being a sinful thing. It's, it's, we talked about it a couple of weeks ago. It's the player who, who goes into the end zone and acting like he's the only person or she's the only person scoring the goal or whatever it is that did what they did. And, and they boast like they're the only person that did it. And so we look at that and we, 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 we long for, at least I do, the days of guys like Barry Sanders who scored touchdowns and just threw the ball to the referee and went back to the sidelines. We long for that, that humility that's there, but, but here the, the word boast is, is a positive thing. Boasting is a lot like the word temptation. Temptation can be a trial that's a good thing, but it can be a temptation that's a bad thing. Boasting in Christ, boasting in the cross, boasting in the gospel are good things. Boasting in self, boasting in what we do, boasting in our own works are bad things, they're sinful things. He says, let him boast. It's a command. Let him boast. Let him, here's, here's what he's saying. He says, let him look past his present circumstances and see the true wealth of following Jesus. Look past your present circumstances and see the true wealth of following Jesus. James says, let the lowly brother, the brother in a lowly position, boast in his high position." Boast in his exaltation. Let the wisdom that we're praying for in verse five open their eyes so that they can see in the midst of their poverty the height to which they have reached as a child of God. It's a boasting that's described in Romans chapter eight, verse 17. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. <coughs> Excuse me provided that we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. You see that? We suffer, but we're glorified. We boast because we're heirs. We boast in our exaltation, in our exaltation of where we're going, but also who we are now as believers. Because of Jesus, we can rejoice in the hope of glory. Because of Jesus, regardless of our circumstances. And so what you see in this first verse is what R. Kent Hughes called a rich poor man. Okay? He's boasting in his exaltation. But then when you turn to verse 10, R. Kent said, you see a rich poor man, but now you see a poor rich man. And that's the, contact, that's the, that's the contrast that we see. And that, that's what we come to in our next point, the contrast. He says, and let the rich... I think the word that we need to see is brother. We'll see that in just a moment. Let the rich brother in his humiliation. So one who is poor is boasting in exaltation and the one who is rich is boasting in his humiliation. James is speaking, I think, of two believers, two different brothers. And we see it in the New Testament. There are believers who are rich and there are believers who are poor. 
Paul, at the end of one of his letters, writes to those who, who desire to be rich, and he also writes to those who are already rich. And so we see it all the way through in this life that, that we see lived out before us. But here are two brothers, one poor, one rich. The poor man must look past his present circumstances and see his true wealth in Christ. But the, the rich man must look past his present circumstances and see his spiritual poverty and who he is in Christ and in Christ alone. Here's the thing. They both have to look beyond their circumstances. So take two different groups of people. You've got those in, who are poor and those who are rich. They both have to look past their circumstances. They have to look past their circumstances and, and look toward the one who can save them and see their spiritual need. Both must see their spiritual need. But both have to look past their circumstances to see it, and both are looking in opposite directions. One's looking from the bottom, the other's looking from a place of thinking, I have no need. Think about it. You, I, I found, for example, in places in Africa and other places that we've been where there's a lot of poverty, you don't have to convince those people that they need something. They know they need something. And when you talk to them about Christ, they're willing to receive it with joy because they know they're in desperate need and they know they have no options. We understand when we, when we, when we work with a person who is in poverty, we are trying to, to work and the hard work is to show them then the blessings they have regardless of the needs which they're living in. The rich man is, is a harder case. Jesus himself said, for it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to go to heaven. You know, that blew their minds when he said that because they thought only the rich people were the blessed people. We have some of that in our own culture. And they said, well, who then can be saved? Jesus said, with, God is, with man it's impossible, but all things are possible with God. And it's hard. Why is it hard for a rich man to be saved? Why is it? It's because he doesn't see his need. I've shared this before, and, and I don't remember exactly who the golfer was, but one of the top Christian golfers shared about, uh, there, was some, there was a Christian golf tournament that they were having at a church, and he was there speaking, and he was sharing about sharing his faith. I think it was Tiger Woods, but I, I can't remember for sure, so don't quote me on that. But it was someone like Tiger who, who had a lot of fame and a lot of money. And he started sharing his faith with them, and the man looked at him and said, do you think I need God? He had all the money, all the houses, the private jets to fly wherever he wanted to go, the cars that he wanted to have, he could do anything he wanted. He didn't think he needed God. I've never met a person in poverty that says, you think I need God? But I've met some people who live like that in riches. It doesn't mean rich people can't be saved. And it doesn't mean poor people are automatically saved. They both must see their need. But one's looking one way, the other's looking the other way. And what we have to see and what the rich man has to be able to see is his or her need. Look at verse 10. It continues and goes into verse 11. Because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. The flower fails and its beauty perishes. 
so also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. The temptation for the poor man is that he will keep his eyes on the circumstances and, and refuse to look beyond them to ask for help and see the blessings that he has and can have in Christ. He, he, his situation can make him lose hope. But the temptation for the rich man is to turn his eyes off of God and then put them on self and think that he has no need. And the cure for that person is to see wealth from a proper perspective. It's not just because you thought it up. It's not just because you're better than anyone else. It's because God has given it to you and to whom much is given, much is expected. You, you have to see it from a biblical perspective. But it's also a very visible proof that it can be here today and gone tomorrow. You, you can read the stories of those who had everything and lost everything. Athletes who, who enter into the NFL and, and think those checks are always gonna come. And they buy houses and they buy cars and they just spend money like it's going out of style and all of a sudden they lose it and there's nothing there. It can be here, it can be gone. I mean, we, we know that. We, we live in an economy that, that struggles and, and, and if it collapses, we all know what happens to our retirement accounts. It can be here, it can be gone and, and the wealthy person has to see that. No one's guaranteed tomorrow. Not one of us. And, and we simply cannot take our earthly wealth with us into heaven. But we can use what God has given to us here and send it ahead in terms of spiritual blessings in heaven. We have to learn to live for eternity. Remember what Jesus said, whoever exalts himself will be humbled, but whoever humbles himself will be exalted. It's really what we're seeing in here. That's the point that James is making. He got this from Jesus. So there's a visible illustration there's a command, let the lowly brother boast. There's a contrast with the rich brother and, and, and then the flowers and the grass that fades. But then there's also a reward. There's a reward that's here and it's not just for the poor. It's for the poor and the rich. It's not just for the rich, it's for the rich and the poor. It's for those who come to Christ. There's a reward for letting the wisdom of God impact your view of your circumstances. The reward and in verse 12, look at it. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive, what is it? The crown of life, which God has promised for those who love him. This is a reward for the richest of the rich and the poorest of the poor who come through their circumstances and trust in Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ alone. Try to unpack this for a moment. Look at it between verses two and verse 12 and just try to see it. In verse two, you see it, count it all joy, okay? Count it all joy. But in verse 12, at the end of this, he says, blessed is the man. Count it all joy, blessed is the man. And you see it, count it all joy when you encounter various trials because the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. 
But look what he says here. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. He's wrapping this together in verses two through three. He gives you the results of it, that you'll be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And then he turns right around in verse 12 and says, you receive the crown of life. So the crown of life to a large extent is perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. You're glorified in the presence of God, but there is a crown, there is a life that you're given, the abundant life that you can have now as you learn to live with the wisdom of God and see the joy even in the trials. It's easy to have joy when it's good, but James is talking about a life that's, that's not just happy, it goes beyond happy. Yes, it is happy, but, but he's writing about a life that's true joy, deep down soul joy, not based on circumstances. It's based on a love relationship with the Father. You see that last line? Which God has promised those who love him. If you love me, you keep my commandments. What are his commandments? Boast in your exaltation. Ask for wisdom. Count it all joy. We see it. We, we, we see how it all pulls together for us. When we have this kind of joy, when we have this kind of love, we learn to trust him in all things. Not just when it's good. Not just when he always says yes. We ask and we trust him even in the midst of the hard times. Now I just want to wrap it up. A friend of mine wrapped it up with, with, with four or five points and I reduced them down to four. So let me just share these with you. Number one, notice in verse nine and 10, both the rich and the poor are tested. Both the rich and the poor are tested. Both the rich and the poor. You see it in verses nine and 10. You see the, rich, the poor brother and the rich brother. They're both tested. But also notice this, we are blessed here on earth, okay? That's the second thing. We're blessed here on earth when we persevere. We're blessed here on earth. It's not just heaven and the sky by and by. We're blessed here. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. That blessedness, that, that being blessed is something you can experience now. There is a joy that can come even in trials when we trust in Christ. It's, it's earthly. Yes, it's earthly. But it's not just earthly. It's also heavenly. We're promised blessings in heaven when we persevere. That's the third thing. Promised blessed, we are blessed in heaven. In heaven, we receive the crown of life. And then the last thing, the strength to do everything we find in verses 2 through 12. The strength comes from loving God. Loving God. God has promised to those who love him. What we have to learn to do, we have to learn to evaluate ourselves spiritually and not materially. One of the problems I think we have is, is, is if I were to ask you, hey, are you ready for the end? Are you ready for the last days of your life? So many times we automatically go to our 401k. We go to our retirement plan. Oh yeah, I, I'm still working. I'm still putting money there. I'm still trying to get there. But that's, that's not what we're asking. Are we, are we ready? Are we ready to, to live the life that God's called us to live? 
Are we living that way? Are, are we seeing ourselves from a spiritual perspective? Or do we evaluate ourselves like the people in Forbes magazine evaluate themselves? Are we evaluating ourselves by those that we see on the TV or those we see on Instagram or those in TikTok and we evaluate ourselves by how many followers we have or how many likes we have? Or are we evaluating ourselves spiritually? Are we looking at what God says? For example, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for, theirs is, for they will be filled. Blessed are the, the pure in heart, for they'll see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for, for they'll be called the sons of God. Blessed are you when you're persecuted for righteousness' sake and called and evil things are said against you. Blessed are you. Rejoice and be happy, for blessed are you. That's how we evaluate ourselves. We evaluate ourselves by the life of Jesus. We, we look at what the Scripture says. Are we evaluating ourselves that way? Jesus himself faced trial after trial after trial, and he serves as an example to us. You have your Bibles there. Just turn about two or three pages over to the left to Hebrews and go to chapter 12. Hebrews 11 is about those hall of fame of faith, and what's amazing is all of them were afflicted. All of them, man. You just read the last few verses of Hebrews 11. Look at verse 35. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were, that doesn't mean stoned like we think of stone. They were stoned to death with rocks. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with a sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats and destitute, afflicted and mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. He's, that's our heritage, church. That's our people. That's how they lived and then Jesus came, and look at verse 12, chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, that's those people, let us lay aside every weight and sin which so clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Okay, Endurance, that's the same thing James is talking about. Count it all joy, because the, the testing your faith produces endurance, steadfastness. Let us run with endurance. Let us run with steadfastness, the race that is set before us. How do we do that? Look at verse 2. Looking to Jesus, we look to him, how he lived, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus went through the trials and temptations of life looking for the joy that was set before him. That's how we're to live our lives. With the joy that is set before us, the presence of the Holy Spirit now and the presence of the Holy Spirit in glory. 
living our lives for heaven, measuring ourselves spiritually, not materially. God's wisdom has a way of looking through the facade of wealth and the hopelessness of poverty and bringing us where we need to be. God's wisdom has a way of looking beyond the temporary and the finite and pointing us to the infinite, the infinite and the eternal. It takes us beyond beauty that fades and brings us to beauty that is eternal. And when we see Jesus as he's supposed to be seen in scripture, when we see him, whether you are poor or rich, he's enough. He's everything that you want. That doesn't mean if you're poor you don't try to make it out of that. But it means you come to the place to understand that if you are in Christ, you are the most blessed person on this earth. The poor can look at his financial trials and know that he is rich in Christ. The rich man can look at his earthly good glories and know that he is poor in spirit. And both can look toward God and God's wisdom and keep their eyes on eternity. I would just close with two sets of verses because James pulls it all together for us. But outside of Jesus Christ, Hebrews 12, 2, our greatest example is the Apostle Paul. The one who did this, the one who lived this, the Apostle Paul is the greatest example we have. Listen to what he said in Philippians. I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. You see that? Paul had fame. He had respect. He had popularity among the Pharisees. He had position. He had wealth. He had all of that. He says I counted all his junk as dung, one translation says. And then he goes on in chapter 4. He says, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I'm to be content. I know how to be brought low, that's what we saw in James. I know how to abound, that's what we see in James. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And then he says that famous verse, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Philippians 4.13 is not written so that you can run home, hit home runs, shoot baskets, run touchdowns. We see that verse a lot on athletes, and I understand why they put it on there. But that verse is in the context is I can live no matter what comes my way, and I can live for Christ. I want to close just one thing, and I invite you to turn in your Bibles back to 2 Timothy. Second Timothy four. Paul's at the end of his life. That great man of faith is about to enter his eternal reward. It's interesting. He's writing at the end of look at verse nine, we're gonna read something else, but he's telling Timothy, do your best to come to me soon. Redemus in love with this present world has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatian. 
Luke alone's with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he's useful to me in ministry. Tychicus I've sent to Ephesus. When you, when you come, bring the cloak. It's, it's just like he's saying, it's cold, I'm cold. Bring the cloak I've left with Carpus at Troas. And bring the books and above all the parchments. Bring the word to me. But he writes that right after. Look up in chapter 4, verse 7, verse 6. This is why I'm reading it. For I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me, you see it, the crown of righteousness, just like the crown of life, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And here's our hope, church. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. The crown of life is for all who love his appearing. We're looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. So I want to ask you, if you would, just for a moment to bow your heads. We're going to finish with a great new hymn. It's, it sounds like an old hymn, but it's a great hymn. Behold our God. But I just want to ask you for a moment, if you look at your life. And I know how easy it is for circumstances to dictate everything. I know I'm not oblivious to that. And maybe your circumstances have been driving everything about you. you. You're in the midst of some hard times and no one else seems to know what you're going through and, and you don't even know if God knows because you, you feel like you've been praying and he's just not answering. I wanna ask you again as I did last week and the week before to stop praying to get out of it. But for right now, would you stop and ask God to teach you what he's doing in it? Let him teach you. Let him help you learn that you might grow through this. And maybe you're just right around the, the corner. You know it's coming. You, you can feel it. And you want to make sure you don't fail it. Ask God for wisdom. Your circumstances are hard or your circumstances are so good you can't believe it. It is just better than you could ever imagine. Either way, you need God. Keep your eyes on him. Ask him for the wisdom to keep your eyes on him, to trust in him and him alone. God, I thank you. I thank you for my brothers and sisters here. I thank you, God, for the way that they have listened so attentively. And God, I just ask that you would speak to us now that we wouldn't shut down and already be planned in the next few minutes. God, there's something in this passage that speaks to each of us directly. And I just want, God, for us to receive that thing that you're teaching us right now, whatever it may be. And, and Lord, I, I know enough about your word to know that, that when I preach this passage, a couple hundred people could be speaking, you could be speaking in a couple hundred different ways to a couple hundred different circumstances. But you're speaking to us. And so God, I just pray that we'd listen and that we would look toward the crown of life, look toward the crown of righteousness,
we would look toward being perfect and complete, lacking in nothing, and walk in your spirit. If there's something we should do today, God, help us to do it. We turn this time to you as we sing this song. Help us to behold you and help us, God, to respond appropriately. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's stand together. If you need something, I'll be here at the front. I'll be happy to help you in any way. i 
encourage you. Wednesday nights in the sanctuary, we're going through the book of Romans. If you need a midweek Bible study, I know there are other Bible studies that are going on. But also on Wednesday night, our students have things that are happening and our children, choir and missions and other things. And so just want to remind you of that. Make sure you, again, welcome. Maybe since we've done the welcome, some people have come in um, and, and, and not been welcomed by you. So make sure you greet everybody before they leave. We have to do the chairs, but thank you so much for being here. God bless you, and let's just, um, let's just bow for just for a second. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance toward you and give you peace, I pray, in the name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen. God bless you. Thank you.